And good morning, family of grace. When I was in high school, as uh, many of us were prone to do, I experimented with some alternative clothing choices. There was actually a season of life where I regularly was wearing tights. I even got my dad into it. But of course, it wasn't just tights. It was also a tunic and a sword belt and a sword because we were in a play together called Camelot. How'd you go in there? For just a minute, I hope. Uh, but if you are not familiar with the story of Camelot, it's an okay musical. It's about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and Guinevere and Lancelot. And in the musical, uh, Lancelot is from France and he is coming to join Arthur and his knights. And when he steps onto the stage, he's singing a song about the amazing qualities necessary to be a knight of the table round. He says, no matter the pain, a knight of the round table ought to be unwincible. He should succeed where a lesser man would fail. Climb a wall no one else can climb. Cleave a dragon in record time. Swim a moat in a coat of heavy iron mail. And he just like the physical prowess of these knights should be unparalleled. But not just their physical abilities, also their character. He says the soul of a knight should be a thing remarkable. His heart and his mind is pure as morning dew. With a will and a self-restraint, that's the envy of every saint. He could easily work a miracle or two. And to love and desire, he ought to be unsparkable. The ways of the flesh should offer no allure. But where in the world is there in the world a man so untouched and pure? Where are you going to find somebody like that? It's a good question, one that we would love to know as well. Like, where can you find someone who's faithful? Where can you find someone who's going to keep their promises even when it hurts? Where are you going to find someone who's not going to fall and falter and fail? Because if human history and our own lives have taught us anything, it's that humans are prone to err. Faithfulness is really hard to come by. But of course, Lancelot is singing the song, and he asks the question, where are you going to find a guy who has all of these amazing physical and character qualities? And then he goes on and he answers it, well, c'est moi, French for it's me. It's me, it's me. I blush to disclose, tis I, I humbly reply. The man in whom these qualities bloom, c'est moi, c'est moi, tis I. I've never strayed from all I believe. I'm blessed with an iron will. Had I been made the partner of Eve, we'd be in Eden still. Had I been back in the garden in the days of Adam and Eve, humanity and all of its problems would have been solved because I wouldn't have failed. Of course, you know, temptation is always easier to handle from the sidelines. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through that. If you've ever, you know, heard about someone failing to make the decisions they ought, whether in, in story or in history, and you're like, ah, come on. If I were there, I wouldn't have screwed up. Of course, most of us know in reality that we are not nearly as strong as we think we are. But that's what we want. We want someone who's faithful. Really, what Lancelot said, that's what we desire. We want someone who, had he been in the garden with Eve, would not have fallen. We long for someone who is faithful 
where others have failed. And, and the tragedy of the musical Camelot is that Lancelot is not the man he desires to be. He ends up falling for King Arthur's wife, Guinevere, and their love and desire and lack of resistance to temptation brings a kingdom down. So the question remains, though, where in the world is there in the world a man so untouched and pure? Where can we find a faithful one? This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at Jesus and how he faced temptation. Now, if you've been following along with us in our series, Luke begins telling us the birth story of Jesus. He shows us that Jesus is born from a virgin. His mom had never had sex with his father when he came out. He is called the son of the most high God. And Luke, from the beginning, is tying this story to another story that we know. He's actually tying it back to the story of Adam and Eve and a promise that God made a long time ago in a garden. And, he, and Jesus grows up knowing that God is his father. And then in, last week in John chapter in Luke, sorry, chapter 3, we were introduced to John the Baptist, who announced that someone great is on his way. Someone who is going to baptize God's people with the Holy Spirit, meaning he's bringing about all of God's good promises, and he's going to baptize God's people with fire. He's bringing judgment. And so the call is, get ready for the one who's on his way. And then Jesus shows up. He arrived the one that we were waiting for. And he's baptized, and as he's praying, something just amazing happens. The fabric of reality tears. The heavens are ripped open, and the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus in the form of a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven over his Son and says, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And instantly, Luke takes us into a very long genealogy, where he shows that Jesus not only is the son of David, qualified to be king, he's also the son of Abraham, qualified to represent Israel. He's also the son of Adam. He's actually qualified to represent humanity. He's also the son of God. And so Luke is preparing us for what's coming next. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now, wait, the devil? So if you're not familiar with it, yes, we as Christians believe that there is a spiritual being called the devil who's in rebellion against God and against God's people. But no, he doesn't wear a red leotard, carry a pitchfork, and have horns. He is not, not, oh man, I know for some of you guys, this is a disappointment because the Bible is rather sparse with its details about angels and demons and the devil. And mostly for worse, Hollywood has seen fit to fill in all the details with mostly garbage. Um, but so the devil just in brief is not God's opposite or equal. He is not Jesus opposite or equal. He is a lesser spiritual being in rebellion against God and he is running amok on planet earth and in the lives of people all around. And he is a character in the story that we're going to run into again. But also we see 
that this story that Luke presents us with is like another story that we may have heard of. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. It sure sounds a lot like the story of Moses and the Israelites who came out of the Red Sea and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years of being tempted and failing. Israel was not a very faithful people back then. So this story about Jesus not only echoes Adam and Eve in the garden, it also echoes Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. And we're set up to hope that maybe someone better has arrived who will not fail where others fell, but who might succeed. And during these 40 days, Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever fasted for 40 days. I most certainly have not. Uh, So what I've been told is that 40 days is pushing the absolute boundaries of the human limit. Like, you can't go much further beyond there before you kick the bucket. Uh, You literally just starve to death. So Jesus was really hungry. And a small detail like that ends up having huge implications because we realize Jesus, while the Son of God, is also a person. Like, he went through puberty. He had facial hair. He was hungry, and he got tired. He understands what we go through on a daily basis. But now we get into the tests. And there's going to be three of them that the devil has lined up specially for Jesus. Let's take a look. And then the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. You look like you're hungry, Jesus. You know, if you're God's Son, maybe you can do something about it. Why don't you go ahead? Prove it by taking care of your needs. Someone once told me that that every temptation, that, that what lies behind every temptation is a belief or a misbelief about God. And so I, I took that and I just asked myself some questions going through that were helpful for me. I hope they're helpful for you. This is what I asked. What is the temptation? What is, what is Satan actually offering to Jesus? And what would that say about God? And then we're going to look at what Jesus' response reveals. So that's going to be the format as we go. So test number one, the temptation. Satan invites Jesus to prove his own identity. Are you the son of God or not? Prove it. Just do, some, do a miracle. Let's see it. Use your authority to satisfy and gratify your own needs. Right now. Would this be an okay thing or not? But what does this say about God? I think it says that God cannot be trusted to take care of me. That God doesn't love me. Because remember the situation, the Holy Spirit had filled Jesus and led Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus is presently where God wants him to be. God, for 40 days, has not given Jesus food. He has not provided for that need. And so the devil is essentially saying, bail, my friend. Take care of it right now. Just bring this hunger time to an end. Don't Don't trust God that he's going to take care of your needs. You're almost dead. Meet it your own way. 
Because apparently God doesn't love you enough to take care of you. But Jesus told him, no. No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Jesus does something marvelous, and he's going to do this three times in a row. He's going to quote from the book of Deuteronomy. So let me give you a little bit of context. Again, we've referenced Moses and the Israelites. And if you don't know the story, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, around in the wilderness for 40 years, and then he's about to die and hand over leadership to a man named Joshua, who's going to take God's people into the promised land. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is one big, long farewell address from Moses. As he tells the people of God, this is what God has done for you. This is what God is going to do for you. So here's my advice. So I have a kind of lengthy quote. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8 that Jesus is referencing. And you shall remember, Moses says, all the way that the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Don't forget. In order to humble you, putting you to the test. Like whether you wanted to realize it or not, your God has allowed you to become needy so that he can know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God let you experience hardship because he wanted to know deep down what would happen. What do you actually believe? What is in your heart, whether you will obey him or not when the going gets tough. And he humbled you and he let you Go hungry. Does this sound familiar? And he fed you with the manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Now again, if you're not familiar with the story, the people of Israel, a whole nation, is wandering around in the wilderness, and they have no food, no supermarkets, no online retailers. They need God to do something, and God does in a spectacular fashion. They wake up one morning, and there, all over the ground, is a substance. It's so strange, they, they call it manna, which is the Hebrew way of saying, what in the world is it? Uh, and so that's what they call it. They call it, what is it? So, hey, you're going to go get your what is it this morning? Yeah, I love that stuff. What is it is so good. Manna. Like, huh? It's, that's what it's called. And God did this for them every single day for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. God, well, minus the Sabbath, that's a minor detail, but... God provided for his people food where there was no food. And he did that, Moses says, in order to make you understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Guys, the truth of the matter is you need more than food to survive. You need all that God wants to give you. And then Moses gives him two examples. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. And I like to imagine that as Moses is saying this to the Israelites, they're looking around at each other at shock like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, look down at your feet. You're wearing the same shoes you've worn for four decades. Your feet haven't grown bigger. My friends, I'm wearing size 12 right now because six years of working in a warehouse environment, my feet went from 10 and a half to a size 12. And the Israelites wandered around for four decades and they can still wear the same pair of shoes? Oh, wow, that's a miracle. Or your clothes didn't wear out? Like, wait, what? Oh, wow, God was taking care of needs that we might not even have been aware of. 
God wants you to know that you do not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. That's what Moses tells the Israelites. God has allowed you to go through hardship because he loves you, because he is teaching you something, because he has ways for you to grow like a man takes care of his child that he loves. That's Moses' story to the Israelites that Jesus is referencing. The scriptures say people don't live by bread alone. So what what does Jesus' response actually reveal? Jesus says, one, food is not enough for life. I know that. Like, I am in dependence upon God to provide for all of my needs, even beyond food. And Jesus is not going to use his power and authority to serve himself. At the end of the day, Jesus trusts God. He knows that God has led him into a period of testing. He knows God wants to know what's in his heart. Like, will he trust God or not? And Jesus stays the course. He's not going to bail early. And to the whole question of if you are the son of God, Jesus doesn't even address it. He has no need to prove his identity that was spoken over him at his baptism. Just take that one to the bank. And this is amazing. Jesus passed the test where, well, if we're honest, most of us don't. Most of us, myself especially, encounter any sort of pain or unpleasantness. I am looking for the shortest way out of here. But Jesus stays the course. Whoa, maybe he's a faithful one. Maybe he's better than Adam. Maybe he's better than Israel. Test number two. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Feel free to read that in whatever Godfather-esque voice you want to. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Like Jesus, you know, we, we used to say everyone has a price. Like everyone at some point can be bought to give into the things that they say they're convicted to. The devil just offered Jesus the world. Like, if you will look to me to fulfill you and worship me now, I will give you the world. I will fulfill your destiny. I will make you an instant success. You want money, sex, and power? I'll give you more money than you can count. I'll give you more power than you know what to deal, do with. I will give you more fame than anyone in the history of the world. You can have it all, and you can have it right now. Just come be on my team. It's quite the offer. But it's interesting because the devil is actually offering Jesus something he's already been offered. If you remember last week, we looked at what the Father spoke from heaven you are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. And we, we looked at how that is actually a complex quotation of the scriptures. A, a merging of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 41 and Isaiah 42 of the, the messianic king from the line of David and of the suffering servant from Isaiah. But if we looked at Psalm 2, remember, this is what Psalm 2 said. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask. And I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. 
in a way God had already offered this to Jesus. Jesus, all you have to do is ask me, I will give you the world as your inheritance, as something that will belong to you that you will one day receive. Just wait. God has offered Jesus the world. And now the devil is offering Jesus the world right now in a different way than God does. So what does this say about God? Like, were were Jesus to accept this, it's implying that maybe God can't actually satisfy us. Maybe God cannot make good on his promises. Maybe he's too demanding. Maybe he's not worth waiting for. Maybe Satan can deliver more than God can. Do we believe that? Are we willing to wait for God to bring his good things into our lives? Will Jesus? And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And again, this is amazing. Jesus, again, is quoting from Deuteronomy, from the story of Moses and the Israelites. This time from chapter 6. This is what Moses told the Israelites. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Again, if you don't know the story, remember, Egypt was the world's superpower. They had the best military, the best architecture, those pyramids, those were kind of impressive. And God... Yahweh, the Lord, came into Egypt and wrecked that country seriously in order to rescue the Israelites out of it. Don't forget that. That was kind of important. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. And when you take an oath, you must use only his name. You must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. Moses is telling Israel, don't forget, God is in charge of the nations. He's not impressed by armies. He was able to rescue you out of, out of chains that were too strong for you ever to escape from. Don't forget them. Don't go worshiping other gods. They're not as powerful as the one that you're serving. God loves you. He's in relationship with you, and he is jealous for your affections. And the sad tragedy of Israel's story is that they don't listen to Moses. They forget the Lord. They turn to other idols all the time, to other gods. And God's jealousy burns hot for his people that he loved and that he saved. But Jesus hasn't forgotten. He's quoting this. You must worship the Lord your God and him only you will serve. Jesus' answer reveals that he's going to obey God and serve him only and that he trusts God to keep his promises. He's going to wait for God to give him the world. He's going to look to God to satisfy his desires. I I, I like to think of Jesus here as a man who is engaged to be married and very eager for that, just walking down 82nd or Stark Street, blowing right by the prostitutes and the strip clubs. It's like, I know that you would give me right now things that I'm looking forward to, but I don't want them from you. I'm getting married. I've got someone that I'm looking forward to spending the rest of my life with. You have nothing to offer me right now. Jesus loves his father. He's going to serve and worship him only. He's going to wait for God to bring about all this goodness into his life. 
this, the devil offered him the world, Jesus is not going to take him up on the offer. And, and it's interesting because there's actually a, a similarity between here and a, the early temptations in Genesis chapter 3. If you remember the story, man and woman in a garden were given a garden and God said, eat from any tree that you want to, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm holding one back from you. And then in comes a serpent saying, no, 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 you guys should eat of what God is denying you. He tells the woman that God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The, the devil told the woman, God's holding out on you. God doesn't want to give you everything. You need to achieve autonomy on yourself. You need to decide good and evil on your own. If you do this, you will be like God. And the tragic story is that, well, she already was. That in the beginning, God made mankind, human, man and woman, in his image and likeness. They already were like God. But the devil offered them something similar to what God wanted to give them, just on different terms and from a different source. And in the garden, they fell. But now Jesus in the wilderness succeeds where Adam didn't. Jesus is more faithful than Adam. He's more faithful than Israel. This is a, a hero, a champion, better than Lancelot. This is someone special. Test number three. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. Because the scriptures say, yes, my friends, the devil knows the Bible. The scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Psalm 91, talking about the Messiah, the devil says, look, Jesus, if you're the son of God, go angel paragliding. It should be fun. Just chuck yourself off. God said he'd save you. Make him do it. Make him do it. Again, prove your identity. Believe the scripture and make God show how faithful he is. Like a small child can sometimes just set the situation up where they're forcing their parents to do what they want. You know, I want attention, and so I'm going to scream really loudly right now. Or your hands are full and you're carrying me, and I'm going to lean way out so you can't stop me. You have no hand right now. <laughs> like make God answer to you, Jesus, right now. If you're God's son, just they can prove it. But of course, what this would say about God is that God's faithfulness is in doubt. God's faithfulness isn't something that you'd want to launch to Mars without making it go through some thorough testing here on earth first. You know, this would say that God has to serve you in your time rather than the other way around. Is that what we believe? But Jesus responded, no, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And again, he invokes Deuteronomy, the story of Moses and the Israelites. And Moses, the whole quote is, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. So let me tell you a story. The Israelites were rescued from Egypt. God wrecked a superpower in the world through miraculous signs and plagues and miracles and he led, Moses led the people out of Egypt, and they went to the Red Sea. And then they got in trouble, 
because the Egyptian army changed their mind about letting him go. And here comes the army. And so then God did another miracle. God made a way through the Red Sea and the Israelites came through on dry land. And when the Egyptian army tried to follow the same path, God brought the waters back and the whole army was swept away in a cataclysmic flood. And on the far side of this body of water, the Israelite nation throws a huge party because they had just had their necks saved. It was really good. God had delivered his people. And then they go from there and they go three days into the wilderness and they don't have any water. That's a problem. And they come across some water, but it's too bitter to drink. And then God makes it sweet. So every, everyone's needs are taken care of. And they go a little bit further into the wilderness and they have no food. And that's when God shows up and gives them that, what is it? Manna in the wilderness. And God continues to do that day after day. And then we get to Exodus chapter 17. God has provided water. He's provided food. And we're back to a place where there's no water. And the people are grumbling and complaining about it. And they're actually saying, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? They're actually beginning to say to themselves, I don't think God is even among us right now. And Moses says, what are you talking about? Like, has, has God not done enough for you yet to trust him? To believe that he loves you and cares about you and is powerful enough to provide for your needs? Why do you test him right now? Why do you demand that God satisfy your thirst immediately or you're heading back to slavery? Don't test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Jesus quotes that. You must not test the Lord your God. He understands the scriptures. He knows the story. He knows the lesson that we were supposed to learn as God's people. He says, no, God's faithfulness isn't in doubt. God has done enough to prove himself. We don't need to test it again. He shows that Jesus trusts God. And once again, he, he doesn't need to prove his identity. He doesn't even address that question. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Jesus won. Like, unlike any other person in human history, he succeeded. He passed the test. He resisted temptation. He chose, unlike Adam, unlike Israel, to trust God and to remain faithful despite being tired and hungry in the wilderness, despite having the world offered to him right now, despite having the opportunity to take God on his promises in Jesus' own way. He refused. He refused. So what do we see? We see Jesus is a better son of God than Adam ever was. Had he been in the garden with Eve, we would be in Eden still. And he's a more faithful son of God than Israel. Israel, who back in Exodus is called God's son. Jesus is more faithful than them. Like, ah, oh, we have been waiting for someone like this the whole time. Jesus is the faithful son of God. That's what we need to know from this passage. But not just that, we, we need to know what to do with that. What do we do with the faithful Son of God? Well, we, we should trust Him, and we should trust like Him. I know it sounds like our little tagline of love Jesus, love like Jesus, but yeah, trust Jesus, trust like Jesus. And what do I mean by that? First of all, trust Jesus. Unlike, like Lancelot, all of us 
tend to have an overestimation of how strong we are in the face of temptation. And for those of us who have been burned a couple times, we know actually we're rather weak. Uh, we, humanity needed a hero. We needed a savior. We needed someone who could come in and trust God where we failed to. And the story of the scriptures say that Jesus is the faithful son of God who lived a perfect life, who was unjustly murdered willingly in order to pay for the sins of the world and who God raised from the dead. So if we trust Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. Our, our debts will be paid and our shame will be covered and will be given honor instead and our guilt will be erased and atoned for. If we trust in Jesus because he did what none of us could, he did what no person in the history of the world could have done, then we can be forgiven and we can be made right. We don't have the power. There's nothing you or I could ever do to be right with God. We're just not strong enough. We're not good enough. We're not faithful enough. We are not the kind of man Lancelot was talking about, but Jesus was. And so what the Bible says is if you want to trust in Jesus, here's how you do it. You repent and you be baptized. I know we don't use those words anymore. Repent. You Just turn around, come back, come back from living life your own way and doing the things that you're doing and come to God and tell him you're sorry and ask him to forgive you and he will. And then be baptized. It's a public acknowledgement that you are a Jesus person now and that you're following him among other things. And if you do those things, God has promised that he will forgive you of your sins and he will welcome you into his family and you will be part of his people and you will be filled with the spirit and empowered to go do the work and ministry that God has prepared for you to do in the world. Repent and be baptized. But also guys, I think we should rejoice in Jesus' faithfulness. I don't know if you guys were watching three weeks ago when Tom Brady led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a Super Bowl victory. Okay, no one here is so anti-Tom Brady that I heard a groan, so that's a good, a good sign. I was watching the award ceremony, and, and the, the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, got on stage, and to millions of people announced that his father had given him a piece of advice a long time ago, that if you want to get somewhere that you have never gone before, find someone who's been there and ask them for advice. And he says, that's what we did. We went and we got Tom Brady who had won the Super Bowl six times, and we brought him on board, and because of Tom Brady, we have now won the Super Bowl. And you know what? Tampa Bay was really excited about Tom Brady that day. They're probably still really excited about Tom Brady. They threw a party for Tom Brady. Why? Because he did for them something that they had never been able to do on their own. Well, guys, I got, I got words for you. Whether you realize it or not, every Sunday, from the resurrection of Jesus, the people of God have gathered to celebrate Jesus who did for us what none of us could have done for ourselves. Because he was faithful where none of us were able to be faithful. Because he made a way for us to be right with God and each other where no one in the history of the world has ever been able to do it before. And so this morning on Resurrection Sunday, because every Sunday is the Lord's Day, every Sunday is a day to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in what Jesus has done. We can love him because he is God's faithful son. So let's trust him and let's trust like him. Because Jesus not only is our Savior, he's also our example. So let's look at what he did. And so as, as we ask ourselves some questions, do we ever feel the need to prove our own God-given identity? 
God says that we're loved. You guys ever feel insecure about that? God says that, that you are so valuable that Christ died to save you. That God had a plan for you before he even made the world. That you are priceless. Do you ever feel like that's not true? Like you've got to prove it to other people that you have value and worth? Jesus didn't feel the need to prove that. He just trusted God. Are we ever tempted to not wait on God, but to meet our needs in our own way? I, I didn't advance my calendar this year, so I missed the exact date, but it's the end of February. So as of this month, I am 12 years clean of pornography. Praise God. And, and for me, that, that sin, that, <laughs> that temptation was tied up with my own loneliness and my own insecurities. I wasn't willing to wait for God to meet my needs in his own way, in his own time. Whether by bringing someone into my life or whether by showing me that I don't need a relationship with another person in that way for me to be a complete human being capable of doing God's work. Like the, the answer to loneliness and relationship can be either singleness or, or marriage. But either way, I didn't trust God to meet this deep, consuming hurt in my life. I kind of felt like Jesus at the end of 40 days, like, God, if you don't do this, I'm going to die. Uh, and so I, I made a loaf into bread. I, I just went online. And by the grace of God, I've, I've been forgiven. And he's led me out of that. And so every year I stand up and say, guys, this has happened. This is part of my story. And if you need help, let's talk. But Jesus was willing to wait for God to bring about good things in his life. He trusted that God would meet his needs in his own way, in his own time, that Jesus served God and not the other way around. He didn't look to something or someone else other than God for, 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 for fulfillment. Sorry. Do you ever think that God has to serve us right now? Do you ever look at the Bible and say, you know, God, like healing, maybe? I don't know. God, you say that, that we can pray and ask and you'll answer us? We, we've seen that you've healed people in the past from all sorts of diseases and, and troubles. Why aren't you doing that right now? I really need you to. I'm hurting a lot. My loved ones are hurting a lot. People are afraid. We're scared. Lord, why haven't you answered? I need you to do it right now. Where Jesus was willing to wait and to hope and to trust that one day God will answer all of his promises in full. But it may not be in the time that we want it to be. He was the faithful son of God. And of course, all of these questions really come down to these four words. Do we trust God? Will we trust Jesus? Will we learn to trust like him? Because frankly, we don't do a very good job at it. I, uh, I one time walked into um, the office I was working at, and I just, I just complained to my coworker. I said, you know, all I want to do is to do the right thing in the right way at the right time with the right attitude. 
and the right motivation. I've told this story before, and they responded to me, Jordan, that's impossible. No one does that. It wasn't the most comforting thing. But it did reveal something about human nature. And I think, to me, it revealed something about the four temptations of the devil. This is not scriptural. This is Jordan here speaking. So if it's useful, take it. And if not, then get rid of it. But I think the devil offers us those four things. He offers us the wrong thing. In the wrong way or from the wrong source. Or at the wrong time. Or with the wrong attitude. Maybe you get it, but we're going to grumble about it. <laughs> it's not exactly what we're wanting. Or, or maybe we, we want something that's good, whether that's you know, security or relationships or, or finances or, or, or children or whatever it would be. And God has not yet seen fit to give us this good thing. And so we want to force it or we want to seek it in the wrong way or from the wrong source. You know, Oregon specializes in reproductive technologies and some of the ethics behind some of the ways of doing that are, are really worrisome. Or, or maybe it's the drive to have financial security and so you're setting up a business and a supply chain and you're not thinking about the net effects of your purchases on people on the other end of that supply chain. Like, are we causing human suffering? Are we, are we seeking things in the wrong way? Is, is justice worth paying the price for? And sometimes it's just the wrong thing. I think these are things the devil offers us, the world offers us, our flesh desires. But if we would trust Jesus and trust like Jesus, then we're going to need to trust that God is going to keep his promises and be willing to wait for him. And as we do that, let's be filled with the Spirit trusting in Jesus, being empowered and equipped to do the work that God has for us to do. Let's be soaked in the scripture. You know, Jesus in the wilderness, I don't think he had a copy of the scriptures with him. It doesn't say that he turned to, you know, the scroll of Deuteronomy and then read. It just said he, he knew it. He had the stories and, and the truths of the stories embedded in him already. And so I invite you guys, let's be like Jesus and be soaked in the scriptures. And if you want to memorize something, just memorize Jesus' answers to Satan right now. These would be good things to know. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And that you shall not test the Lord. Like those are great places to start. And there's more. Because the devil knows scripture too. He just applies it in the wrong way at the wrong time. And you know what? That particular temptation is alive and well on planet Earth. People will use the Bible for just about anything. But if we soaked on it, if we knew the lessons and the context and, and with the community of God, pursued understanding of what God has communicated to humanity for life and breath and salvation, things would go a lot better for us. And let's patiently wait on God. And, and while we do, let's rejoice in Jesus' faithfulness because he's a better hero than Adam, than Lancelot, than Israel. He has done for humanity what we could not do for ourselves. He was the faithful son. And of course, lest we like Lancelot have a higher opinion of our own abilities than we do, lest we think that we're stronger than we are, Jesus tells us, guys, don't seek temptation out. <laughs> don't ever get all macho and like, God, give it to me. I can take it. It's like, no, you can't. And Jesus loved you enough to tell you not to. He actually says, pray the opposite. Pray, pray, Lord, 
Lead us not into temptation, into times of testing, but deliver us from the evil one. Because you're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. No one, save Jesus alone, was strong enough to resist. So let's just pray like, God, God, give us the easy road. Lord, give us the easiest lineup possible. Like, put us on, like, super novice level when it comes to temptation. We don't need it. And let's just praise God that Jesus went ahead and beat it the way that it was supposed to be beaten. And let's just trust in him. We don't need this. Jesus, unlike us, was the faithful son of God, guys. So let's trust him. Let's trust like him today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for doing something for humanity that we were totally incapable of doing on our own. We thank you for sending Jesus to resist temptation on behalf of humanity, to die as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, and that you raised him from the dead and and vindicated him and showed the world that he is your son, he is your king, and we can get in line with him or we can face his judgment one day. But Lord, we thank you for the grace that has been made available by Jesus Christ. Father, will you help us to look to your Son, to be transformed more into his image, to trust him, to trust that all of your good promises will come true, and to trust like him, to learn to wait for you, to not run from the pain that you have brought us into, but to trust that you love us, and like a father disciplining your child, that you are doing good things in us, even though right now we're really uncomfortable. Lord, let us believe that all that we undergo and all of the hardships and the pains and the trials and the hurts of this world, no matter how bad they seem, will one day in your hand be worked to the good of your people, to the glory of Christ. And one day at the end of history when Christ returns, we will be able to look back and exclaim with joy that you have fulfilled all of your promises in full and that there is nothing lacking in your answer to us. Father, would you sustain us by your word, by your spirit, and by the intercessions of Jesus, our King and our High Priest today. Let us rejoice in him this morning. Amen.